Welcome to worship at First Presbyterian Church. My name is Connie. And I'm Danny. And as our Lenten journey continues, we invite you to join us as we walk with Jesus Christ ever closer to Jerusalem, the cross, and the empty tomb. Let us worship God. Come on in. I'm reading to you a story from John's Gospel in chapter 12. Six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany, the home of Lazarus, whom he raised from the dead. There they gave a dinner for him. Martha served, and Lazarus was one of those at the table with him. Mary took a pound of costly perfume made of pure nard, anointed Jesus' feet, and wiped them with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance of perfume. But Judas Iscariot, one of the disciples, the one who was about to betray him, said, Why was this perfume not sold for 300 denarii and the money given to the poor? He said that not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. He kept the common purse and used to steal what was put into it. Jesus said, leave her alone. She bought it so that she might keep it for the day of my burial. You always have the poor with you, but you do not always have me. This is the word of the Lord. Our second reading, as I mentioned earlier, will be from the Gospel of Mark. We are reading Mark's account of the triumphal entry in Mark 11, 1 through 11. Since you don't have it in front of you, I invite you to close your eyes. I invite you to see the events as they are being described. Listen with fresh ears. When they were approaching Jerusalem at Bethpage and Bethany near the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples and said to them, Go into the village ahead of you, and immediately as you enter it, you will find tied there a colt that has never been ridden. Untie it and bring it. If anyone says to you, Why are you doing this? Just say this, The Lord needs it, and will send it back here immediately. They went away and found a colt tied near a door outside in the street. As they were untying it, some of the bystanders said to them, What are you doing, untying the colt? They told them what Jesus had said, and they allowed them to take it. Then they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their cloaks on it, and he sat on it. Many people spread their cloaks on the road, and others spread leafy branches that they had cut in the fields. Then those who went ahead and those who followed were shouting, Hosanna, blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our ancestor David. Hosanna in the highest heaven. Then he entered Jerusalem and went into the temple. 
And when he had looked around at everything, as it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So how about that NCAA tournament? What they call March Madness. It has certainly lived up to its name this year. Since there wasn't one last year, it's been fun to watch and be a part of its journey. From 64 to 32 to 16 to 8 to 4 to 2, we are right in that transition from 16, the Sweet 16, to the Elite 8. And something we all kind of look for and celebrate, unless it's against your team, are the Cinderella stories, right? Those stories that little schools that you may not know or certainly don't think they have powerful sports programs, somehow they find their way in. The stars align and they have an amazing year. We've seen a couple of those in this year's tournament. Two of them washed out yesterday. So Loyola of Chicago, of course, we know dear, sweet, 101-year-old Sister Jean, their uh, chaplain. They played Oregon State yesterday and lost. But the big one, I don't even remember the last time this happened, but Oral Roberts? Really? They were in ranked number 15. No team ranked number 15 has ever made it to the Elite Eight. Would this be their year? They played Arkansas yesterday. They were 10-point advantage in the first half. But that distance closed the second half, and I saw just the last piece of it. It came down to one of those moments that we hope all of the games do, again, and that our team would win. It was 72-70. to 70. Arkansas was up by two. 3.1 seconds. And... Oral Roberts has it on the other end of the court. They have to go all the way down to the other end and somehow get a shot up. So you see him trying to come in. They're running up and down the sideline. When one of their aces, Max Acemus, you see it almost full stride, comes across, they get the ball to him. He is trucking, he beats his defender. He makes it to the three-point line, stops, gets up, shoots it, in enough time, the clock strikes zero before it hits, it bounces on the rim and bounces off. Oh, and that wouldn't have just tied. That was a three-pointer that would have won and secured them through. But such is the na nature of sports, and that's why we love it. Again, unless that's your team that lost. March Madness. Now, today is the second half of that Sweet 16 to Elite Eight, and then we will watch the following teams in subsequent weeks. The madness part is what I want us to focus on today for this crazy parade that Jesus insists on bringing before us. So we know the basic outline of what happens. They are coming to Jerusalem for Jesus, it's the last time. He knows it. Nobody else really grasps that. Even his disciples, who he continues to try to say, 
the Son of Man must die and suffer and then be raised on the third day. They don't hear that second part. That's when Peter says, oh, no, 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 that can't happen. And Jesus says, stop messing with God's plan. This is exactly what must happen. This is Jesus' last hurrah before he enters Jerusalem. And every day, there are significant things that happen. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday is a little bit lighter. But then Thursday, with the Last Supper, entering the Garden of Gethsemane, the betrayal, and Friday, the trials, the crucifixion, and then Easter with the resurrection. This week is really all about why we believe what we believe. If you took nothing else from the Scripture and the Gospels, this week is enough to form our basic foundation of understanding. It helps us to understand Jesus in some different ways. It certainly is helping them to see Jesus differently in that moment. So there's the story of a couple that gets married and their, their breakfast kitchen nook looks out over the neighbor's backyard that they are next to. They don't have a gate and once you know it, they hang out their laundry to dry. How unsightly. But it's, not, it's worse than that. Every time the wife looks out, she says, they don't know how to do laundry. Their laundry is disgusting. It is dirty. It is dingy. Somebody needs to teach that woman how to, how to do laundry the right way. So this happens again, week after week after week. The husband just eats his cereal, eats his banana, goes about his business. And finally, about a month later, the wife comes in fully expecting to see dirty laundry again, except this time it was clean. Well, somebody must have taught her how to do laundry. And the husband said, dear, I just washed our windows. So much of how we see life is the, the context that we see. It is what surrounds us, who we are. We are jaded by that lens. And we see things differently. That's what part of this Lenten journey is about. It's about washing our own windows so that we can see God in Christ more clearly. We can see ourselves more clearly. And here, how are the crowd and the disciples seeing Jesus? Well, of course, we know. He's on a donkey. Now, it's not as silly or ridiculous as we might think it is. That was more common in the day. Sometimes several families would all go in and have a donkey. It was a main source of travel in the day, especially if you didn't have money enough to have a horse. It was all about donkeys. There is Old Testament precedent against princes riding donkeys to signify that they are coming in peace because the donkey certainly is not an animal of war. So they get to Jerusalem and Jesus says, hey, go, go get me this. 
They must have known him because they said, oh, Jesus needs it, right at you. There's a whole stewardship sermon built in there. Jesus says he needs it, and they gave it to him, and he returned it to them. Maybe we'll talk about that in the fall. So they bring it back, and when they do, they cover it with their cloaks, with their cut branches from the field or palm branches. All four Gospels tell this story of Jesus' entry. And both the cloaks and the branches were done typically for who? Who? Royalty, kings. Right, again, biblical precedent for these big entrances, whether it's victorious after war or coming in with full military, full chariots, full power represented to show just that. Power, wealth, dominance, control, and here's Jesus, riding the donkey. It does seem silly to us, but this was fully intentional by Christ. And those who placed their cloaks down or these branches, they were being openly heretical because that event was known, as we just said, to welcome the royalty. Who was royalty in that day? Well, it was the Roman leadership but they didn't care, and neither did Jesus. But they saw him a little bit differently. And in the process, Hosanna, glory to God in the highest. That Hosanna is a mixture of save us, which they would have been saying in a, in a political realm, not, they, they don't understand this life and death, resurrection, sin, heaven, hell, they don't get all of that yet. So for them, they're expecting the powerful Messiah to come in and set them free from their taskmasters, Rome, the occupiers, Rome. Well, and here comes Jesus. Doesn't look like he's going to do it, but they shout anyway. And they know enough about him to believe that he is different somehow and somehow he can do it because he's been healing. He's been walking on water. He's been feeding the 5,000. He's been doing all of these things to show people that something amazing is happening. It also shows his humbleness. This servant mentality. Remember at the Last Supper in John's account, this is when he takes the towel, and he washes the disciples' feet to show them that to follow Christ is to be humble and to serve others. The story about the Fortune 500 CEO and his wife are going to an awards dinner to honor him for his great accomplishments and leadership at his company. Well, they stop into a gas station on the way to that event, and the CEO goes inside and the wife sees the attendant there at the gas station changing, getting the garbage out, cleaning up around the pumps. And so when the CEO comes out, he notices his wife talking rather intently to this gas station employee. So they get in the car and the husband says, well, gosh, y'all were really talking. It seems like you knew each other. And she said, I, I did know him. He and I went to high school together. We even dated for a while. 
And the husband says, oh, I bet I know what you're thinking. You're so glad you married me, the Fortune 500 CEO, on the way to pick up my award for outstanding leadership, and you're glad I'm not a service station employee changing the garbage. And she said, no, quite the opposite. She said, if I had married him, he would have been the Fortune 500 CEO and you would have been here changing the garbage. Humbleness is built into our discipleship DNA. Christ, our Lord and Master, our prophet, priest, and king is also the one who washes our feet and leads as a servant. And that was conveyed. That's how they saw him a little bit differently in that moment. And finally, he makes his way in. And in Mark's account, it is almost night. So he goes in, he kind of pokes his head around, looks inside the temple, and then leaves again, goes to Bethany, where he often stayed right outside on the east side, Mount of Olives. and waiting for Monday and what will come next. So one of the things that's fun about this is that the crowd sees him and loves him. We have not been able to be a crowd in some time. The things that unite crowds are the things that drive crowds. Often crowds are negative. You hear that crowd mentality. Sometimes a very little thing can take crowds and move them from something honorable to something less than honorable. It's the crowd mentality. But sometimes we are also bound by other things. If you've ever been to a concert, you're there for the love of that band and that music, and you're all screaming the lyrics together, and that song, those songs mean something to you. I remember being at a U2 concert several years ago and the band left. They did their three encores, they were gone and people stayed and kept singing. That was fun. The crowd was united in their love for that song, that music, that group, that time, that place. So crowds aren't always bad. Here, they are good. It is their love of Christ that lead them into this place of lining this, showing how they see their windows, even though they're not fully clear, they have some knowledge and some understanding. So how we see Christ is crucial. Is Christ just that Sunday thing that we do, I had to laugh. I saw someone answer the question or, or explain what they meant by working out or exercising religiously. We might think that that's all the time with faithful devotion. And they said, no, I do it one hour a week and then don't think about it for the rest of the week. Christ is so much more and needs to be more. And it is only in that moment that we begin by praising God. Christ is seeking to enter not only Jerusalem, but our hearts and lives again, to clean our windows for clearer, more faithful sight through the Christ 
that will die and be raised in this next week. And it's okay to be a part of this crowd, but it's only a start. We know what happens when faith is shallow. Sunday turns to Friday. And many of these same people that were even risking Roman retribution in order to lift up Christ, because their faith was only an inch deep and a mile wide, When they were tested or they had to stand and give an accounting or give faith, they were not able to do so because they just followed Jesus the magician. They just followed because, gosh, he's doing some amazing things. And that's not a bad reason to start, but if that's the only place we stay, then our faith is also an inch deep. Those seeds, as the, the sower went out to sow. If they are so shallow, they get burned by the sun. But when we see that there's more than just a magician in Jesus, and we stop asking Jesus only to say, okay, if you're there, do a trick. Even if it's a well-intentioned trick, and then I'll know. What we need is that deeper faith that the disciples are starting to figure out, but they don't quite get it till after the resurrection. We are post-resurrection people and we get it, or we should. If what the Bible says about God, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit is true, then what are we doing? What are we missing? By saying hallelujah one day and crucify him the next. This is our time on Palm Sunday to say Hosanna, hallelujah to God, our creator, redeemer, and sustainer. And I invite you to walk with Christ through the difficult moments, even Friday. If we go Sunday to Sunday, we are missing. We stay in that shallow zone. We have to see and be with and understand that Christ's suffering is a part of our grace and we must go with him. So let's start today by giving our hallelujahs for God, acknowledging him as our king. Let us be the crowd together that we've been prevented from being in the last year to lift up his name and proclaim his joy, his grace, his love, and the life that we have been given. And let us walk with him every day to the cross, and then we will celebrate the event that changed humanity forever. Hallelujah. Amen.